your Bibles open, we're in Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. And uh, this is a story that I love. This is one of my favorites. This is one of my best. Uh, the little man who goes up the tree. And uh, I just, I love it partly because I think in 10 verses in the Bible, you get kind of a, a beautiful description of what the whole thing is about. In 10 verses, it's like Luke, who wrote this gospel, wants us to see what Jesus, who Jesus was, what he does, how he changes lives, what he's all about in 10 verses. And it's beautifully written, it's clever, it's poetic, and it's funny. Are you with me? So we're going to talk about Zacchaeus this morning. Let me just have a little run through the story, shall we? Let's run through it very quick. It's only 10 verses. If you've got your Bibles open, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. It's this story of transformation, right? So it's a story of this tax collector, a chief tax collector, the worst of the worst in society. I'll come back to that. He's sure and he's greedy, right? A, a lethal combo. <laughs> now, if you're short and you're liked in this society, then uh, crowds tend to be quite generous and quite kind. And if he was liked in this society, important people, they'd sort of let you to the front. But he's sure and he's not liked. And so he, although he wants to see Jesus, Jesus is coming into his city. This is a big deal. Jesus is coming into his city. Zacchaeus is desperate to see him. And he can't see him because of the crowd. But that doesn't just mean because he's short. It also means because he's not liked. He can't get to the front of the crowd. There's a good chance as well that Zach, and by the way, I'm calling him Zach. You know what Zach is short for? No, he's just got little legs. That's, um, <coughs> that's actually an excellent joke. Um, in fact, he's probably, he's probably scared of the crowd, right, this Zach. So he climbs the tree and he waits to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And uh, it's an undignified act. I don't know if you've ever climbed the tree. Recently, I climbed the tree after my son who had climbed the tree. It was in public, very public place. I felt like a complete uh, idiot. Uh, it's a very undignified act. Children climb trees. Adults do not climb trees. And then Jesus comes by, right? And he's not stopping. He's not stopping uh, on the way through. We know this because the sycamore tree is a tree that you plant outside of the city. And so Jesus, it says, has gone through Jericho, we read that, and he's come out the other side and he's beyond the city at this point. So he's outside, he's not stopping, he's not staying in Jericho in Zacchaeus' place. He's planning on moving through until this moment where Jesus looks up and he sees Zacchaeus up this tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down, I must come to your house. And the crowd, right, who like Jesus but hate Zacchaeus are like, what on earth is going on, right? Who is, what's this going on? Because to stay at someone's house is like to be close to them. It's to be uh, in that culture, physically close to them, obviously, but it's also to somehow sort of throw your lot in with them, to be socially close to them, even sort of ritually close to them. And they're cross about it. And we have no idea what Jesus said to him that moment. Zacchaeus comes down the tree and he goes to Jesus' house. We have no idea what Jesus says to him when they're having lunch together or whatever it was. But what we do know is because of that conversation, because of the time that Zacchaeus spent with Jesus, everything is changed for him. Everything is different. And so he has this like transformation, transformed to 180 degrees. He comes out of the house and he says, you know what? If I've taken any money, if I've wronged anybody, I'm going to pay back like a silly amount, like a bankrupting amount of money. It's enough money to sort of change him, change the people around him, maybe even because of his position, change the economic situation of that city. And so Zacchaeus in the story moves from being a greedy, anxious, fearful man to something else. He was greedy and now he gives it all away. He was scared of the crowd 
hiding away, preoccupied by what they thought of him. Now he's speaking directly to them. He was anxious enough about life to steal money from people. Now he is secure enough that he can give it away. And then at the end we read, Jesus said to him, this is verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house. And Luke, I think, wants us to see that. It's like he's sort of waving a flag, like notice this, right? That final line. You know that salvation thing I've been talking about? You know, I, I, you know, I call myself the saviour, Jesus is saying. Well, this is what it looks like. Right? If you want to know what salvation looks like, this is what salvation looks like. If you want to know what my mission is, this is it. If you want to know what the church is therefore going to be about, this is it. Right here. What happened to this guy is what I've come to do. It's about sins being forgiven, habits broken, patterns of behavior ended. And then it's about changed lives making a difference. It's about you have no idea who's in and who's out. And any boundaries that you thought were in place are shattered completely. It's about the most unexpected people, the people who had ruled themselves out of the party, being invited in. About people who have been loved and then loving other people and being the change in the world around them. That's what the story is about and the key to it all it's Jesus let me just show you this this is if you're a bible nerd put up your hand if you're a bit of a bible geek I know some of you study the bible sort of in an academic way well this is something that new testament scholars like to do experts and they talk about how the the passage is structured and I'm not going to go through it all now but hopefully I've sort of represented it visually what you see in this passage this is uh, he's Luke has written this passage in what we call a parallel structure and uh, you can kind of see that it starts and finishes in the same place. And then each step sort of comes back to it at the end. And right in the middle, right in the middle is this interaction with Jesus. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay in your house today. It's like Luke is sort of, do you see? Do you see the crucial moment, the critical moment? If the thing is about transformation then what causes the transformation? What allows the transformation to happen? And Luke is like putting it there, bold. He's saying the thing that causes the transformation is hearing Jesus speak to you and spending time with him in his presence. That's the thing that changes Zacchaeus. That's the turning point of the story. That's where it all flips around. Specifically then, what changes us, what transforms us, I think Luke is trying to see, uh, show us, is hearing from Jesus and spending time with him. Transformation happens as we let Jesus speak to us and spend time with us. And the extent to which our lives are transformed is the extent to which we allow that to happen. And Zacchaeus is a great guy in the story because he's far from perfect. Right, we can see that and I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But whatever he does, he has enough faith to simply allow this process to happen, to allow Jesus to change him. Now, uh, I don't know if you've ever, uh, if you go to many concerts... Um, I'm just going to put this picture up here. Uh, now, pop, pop music, right? Pop music has, um, it's changed, right? It's changed a lot in the, whatever, 60, 70 years pop music has been around. And, uh, but one thing that hasn't changed about pop music is screaming girls, right? Um, from the Beatles through, I don't know, what did my mum and dad listen to? Cliff Richard, uh, through One Direction, Take That. The same thing happens, right? Screaming girls. And uh, the screaming is an interesting phenomenon to me, right? You see this picture. I'm Carol. Is that Carol? Is Carol here? Is that you, Carol? Um, (laughs) And 
Oh, man, those days, eh? Those days. And, um, right, there's this thing about, like, they, they're, des- they're desperate to have, like, a personal connection with the band. You know that? So they sort of go, and it's, there's, like, you know, 50,000 people or whatever there. But they're, like, they're singing to me, right? Harry Styles is singing to me. And they're, like, screaming like they're in the presence. And she's got her name up because she's just desperate that whoever that band is might notice her name and might notice her and speak to her, right? Know her name. Now, I, if I'm honest, I look at this with pity, right? And there's something sort of tragic about it, isn't there? Pathetic about it, maybe. Until... Uh, a few years ago, I went to see Coldplay at the O2. And now I'm a fan of Coldplay. And let me tell you, in the O2, when Chris started singing those sweet, sweet melodies, it was like, it was like he was singing them just to me, right? Um, you know, you will fix me, Chris. Yes, you will. You will. <coughs> right? And, you know, I don't, I don't know what yellow means, but if you say it's true, Chris, then it must be, you know, it must be true. Right, there are 20,000 people in that arena, but he was singing just to me, and I began to understand something of it. And it's not just concerts, it's not just music. There's something about, you know, sports fans. You hear, like, these England fans. I can't go to the toilet, because when I go to the toilet during a game, they always give in a goal, right? They always let in a goal, right? It's as if the, sort of, the players are playing for them. You know, or, or I know he lived 100 years before I was born, but Van Gogh, it was like he painted those sunflowers just for me it's like he knew me right whatever it is and I began to think you know what if that did actually happen right what if Chris did step off the stage and come and speak to me he knew my name he said Will this one this is for you I know you I know you love my music this one is for you right what if Harry Kane right just before he's about to take that penalty turns to the camera and he says Duncan Dean right (laughs) this he says this penalty this penalty is just for you right it's for you and then he bangs it in, right? Imagine how you'd feel, right? Or if that artist painted those, that painting just for you, a painting, a beautiful painting of your life, and he got you. Right, I think what Luke wants us to see is that this is kind of what happens to Zacchaeus. There's a turning point in the story, and it's that verse 5. And the turning point is that moment where the one that Zacchaeus is looking upon, the one that Zacchaeus has come to see, because he wants to see him, we, we read that, the one that he wants to see turns and looks at him and says his name, and says his name, and in that moment, and, and more than says his name, invites him to, to be close to him, to be present with him. Right? Everything changes in that moment. And you know, we're doing this series, Jesus and the One, because we really believe that everything changes when we allow the possibility that God, the creator of heaven and earth, might want to speak to us, speak to you, and speak to me. Everything changes in that moment, and it changes for Zacchaeus. But I want to just say a little bit more, because I think, I think there's a bit more in the story we can get. Because that, that sounds sort of easy to say. You know, it sounds easy to say that the, what we need to do is hear from Jesus and spend time in his presence and we'll be changed. Right, and that's true. But it needs a bit of unpacking. And particularly, I think what we need to unpack is what Zacchaeus does. Um, because there's an offer made, there's an invitation. Right, Jesus invites Zacchaeus to something. He looks up, he says, Zacchaeus, I know your name. I want to come and eat in your house today. Right, Jesus gives up his plans, what he was going to do is passing on through. He didn't plan to stay there, but he says, Zacchaeus, I've come to your house. I'd like to come to your house. And Zacchaeus in that moment has an option. He has an option. He could say no. He could say no. He could, turn, he could turn, stay up the tree and say no. But he says yes. And so I want to call this, this sermon, that's what I've called this sermon today, you can come down from the tree now. Right? So it's all about the tree, and this is a tree. 
right? You need to use your creative imagination this morning, church. Zacchaeus is up the tree, right? He's up the tree. And uh, he's up the tree, as we said, because he's fearful. And I think he's up the tree um, for, for two big reasons, okay? And we read them in the passage. Fear is really what's behind all of them, right? And uh, the two things are, one, he wants to investigate Jesus. And we read that because it says that he, want, he, he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. Herb, I've just realised I haven't got the clicker thing. You might have to click through. Can you click through? Next one. Next one. Next one. Amazing. So two things. The first thing is that Zacchaeus is up the tree because he wants to investigate Jesus. And the second reason he's up the tree is because he's just coping with life. He's been hurt by life and he's made decisions in his life which makes him feel distant. And it means that the crowd are on his back. So two things, two reasons why he's, he's, he's there, up the tree. One is to investigate Jesus, and one is to cope. Now, when you're up the tree, Zacchaeus, if you like, is in sort of a position of looking down on Jesus. So Jesus is passing by, and Zacchaeus is sort of looking down. He's, a, he's if you like, he's at a position of distance. He's, he's apart from Jesus. He's away from Jesus at this point. He's not close to Jesus. He's happy in the tree, just looking on. He's got enough faith to get up in the tree, and he's just looking on Jesus. That makes some sort of sense. He's kind of in the moment, but he's not really in the moment. He's apart from, and he's just looking on. And he's doing that because he wants to investigate, and he's doing that because he's scared of the crowd, and because he's got hurt. And then Jesus looks up at him in the tree, when no one else sees him, Jesus sees him, and he says, Zacchaeus, he says, come down from the tree. Come down from the tree, and I want to have dinner at your house tonight. And Zacchaeus, in that moment, because all he's there to do is investigate, and because he's just in this state, state of coping, he could very, very easily have said, no, I'm happy where I am. There's safety in the tree. You know, you're sort of distant. You're not down on the ground. You're not messy. You're not having to be vulnerable. You're not opening your stuff. You're sort of, I'm here. I'm okay where I am, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to look on from a distance. Or, or perhaps, you know, for some of us, you know, it's a, it's a case of, you know, it's for them, but it's not for me. Well, whatever's going on down there, that's great. I'm interested, of course, who wouldn't be interested in, in this salvation story, this transformation story, but I, it's just not quite for me. I'm not there, so I'm a little bit distant, a little bit aloof. And, and, and Zacchaeus overcomes both those things. And so you can come down from the tree now, is the title of the sermon. You can come down from the tree. So let's just talk a little bit about that, shall we? Let's talk about from investigation to intimacy and from coping to closeness. I just want to talk about that. Now, uh, I don't know how you feel about dancing. Anyone dance here? Anyone a big dancer? Yeah? Great. Mo, put your hands straight up. Well done. I, uh, I'm not a great dancer, but I love a dance. And uh, when it comes particularly like weddings, parties, or whatever, I love to have a little dance. Now, here's the thing about dancing. You can learn all of the moves, uh, uh, dance moves. I don't know what it is, the samba or jazz or tap or something. Right? You could learn all of the moves. You could study them, I could sort of go away, I could read all the books, I could watch all the videos on YouTube, I could watch Strictly Come Dancing every year that it's on for the whole season. But there's something about dancing that you've just got to get on the dance floor, right? When I was growing up, I was one of those kids who, when it was like a disco, disco or something, I didn't really like dancing and, and I'd sit on the sidelines. I'd sit on the sidelines with my glass of Coke, sipping it through a straw, and I'd look on at everybody else dancing. And there comes a point with dancing that no matter how much you know, how much you've seen, how much you've sort of understood and analysed and assessed and watched, there comes a point where you've just got to take off your shoes, get on the floor and dance. 
And I think Zacchaeus is doing a little bit of this. See, he's come to see Jesus, right? He's come to study Jesus. He's interested in him. He's had enough faith to get up the tree because he wants to find... So I don't know why. We don't know why Zacchaeus did this. We don't know what it was that stirred in his heart, broke his cold heart. But some reason he wanted to see Jesus and he wanted just to study him, see what was going on, understand him, analyze him. But there's a difference, isn't there? between looking on and then having that thing look upon you. There's a difference between sort of knowing about and then being known by. And so in one sense, Zacchaeus is safe up the tree, just looking on. But Jesus invites him to more, more than just an investigation. He invites him to intimacy. Now this Jesus thing, we've all got questions, right? We've all, we all want to know more. And I don't know where you are sort of on the journey of faith, I don't know if you're sort of just at the beginning or you've been on that journey a long time, but all of us have questions and doubts and queries. All of us are looking on and analysing and investigating. And, and, you know, there's questions about how can an all-loving God allow suffering? Right? If you say at the front of church that God is all-loving, why is my friend going through that? Or what's this healing thing about? Right? Why doesn't it work or seem to work sometimes? Um, why does it work sometimes and not other times? Or what's the Bible about? You know, it's, it's violent. Uh, a lot of the time. I don't quite understand it. I don't quite get the whole church things. Now, these are good questions, right? This is a good place to be. And what I definitely don't see Luke doing in this passage is sort of saying that the questioning is wrong. Because it's almost like he wants to praise Zacchaeus for getting up the tree and looking on, looking down. But there's that moment, isn't there, where Jesus sort of turns and looks at him. He turns and looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, come down. What do you do when the thing that you're investigating turns around and talks to you, right? What do you do when that thing in the Petri dish starts speaking to you? Right? What do you do when those numbers on that page start speaking directly to you? When the object of investigation is now in your life, what do you do? And, um, you know, there's, um, I think this is really, really important for us. I think it's important for us as um, a church. I think there's something going on here as a society as well. I went, when I was, um, about 18, I was at university, and I went to a lecture, and I don't know why I, was, I went to this lecture, but I was a bit of a sort of Christian go-to-everything sort of person, and uh, I went to this thing, and it was with a really, really smart theologian, really, really clever guy, philosopher, and I didn't really understand anything of what he said, but you know it's one of those events where you just get one nugget of gold, right, and it's like worth the, the entrance fee, like just one line, it's like, oh my gosh, that's changed my vision on everything. And this is what he said, and it stuck with me. He was talking about how scientists say, you know, you can't prove God, um, so he doesn't exist. You can't see him, you can't touch him, you can't feel him, so therefore he doesn't exist. And, and this theologian said this. I found it so helpful. Work with me here. He said, the object of investigation determines the way that you investigate it. The object of investigation determines the way you investigate it. Now, that's, some of that's heavy language, but just work with me. If I said... Um, you know what? It smells of gas out there. Okay. Gosh, some of you parents are like, quick, get out there now. What have we done leaving our children out there? It doesn't. Let's, this is just a sermon, right? It's just an image. But um, imagine I said, oh, it smells like gas out there. And I said, Amy, can you go and check? Now, um, what Amy wouldn't do, I hope, is go out there with a tape measure, right? I hope she wouldn't do that. She, you know, she's measured it. She's come back and says, well, there's no gas out there. I've measured it, right? How would she measure whether there's gas out there? She'd go out there and she'd smell, right? She'd use her nose. 
Uh, if I said to Amy, Amy, this person here, standing here, is six foot three. Can you measure that? See if that's true. What Amy, I hope, wouldn't do, I, I, I know Amy a little bit, <laughs> what I hope she wouldn't do is, is go up and sniff him. Right? Because it's completely the wrong method to get to know the thing that you're investigating. I hope that in that point she would get her tape measure. And so do you see that? The thing that you're studying shapes the thing that you use to study it. And here's the question he asked at this lecture. How do you study God? How do you study God? And, and what you begin to see immediately is those, the atheist sort of argument immediately breaks down. Because the argument basically is if you can't see God, you can't touch him, you can't test him by one of the five senses, then he doesn't exist. But any Christian, any theist, not even Christian, but any theist, anyone who believes in God and really thinks about what that means, would say to you, well, hang on, God isn't the sort of thing that you could measure like that. He's not that sort of a thing. You know, it's like trying to measure gas using a tape measure. You can't measure, you can't know God that way. You can't know this experience of the divine that way. It takes something else to know him. You know, you, you can't investigate God because God, if, if God exists and if God is the thing that he says he is, then God is the sort of thing that created the whole idea of investigation. How do you investigate that? And what Christians have been saying, what you know, theologians, what I think the scriptures say, is that there is a way to know God. And it's not the way through the five senses, necessarily that's part of it. But the way to know God is faith, hope, love. That's the way to know God. There's a different type of knowing demanded. And what Zacchaeus finds out when he's up the tree is that there is a different way to know. He's looking on Jesus. He's up the tree investigating, thinking that if he could get the right answers, get enough information, get enough data, then everything would be okay. He'd get Jesus. He'd understand Jesus. And it's almost as if Jesus is reminding him, no, 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 no. That's not the way you're going to get me. That's not the way you're going to understand me. To get to know me is about being intimate with me. And so hear me right, the questions aren't going to go away. It's not like blind faith. I'm not telling you just to sort of give up the questions, give up the analysis. I'm not asking you to take this seriously, to explore, to read, to study, to ask the hard questions. But it is to say this, we won't be transformed by knowing more stuff, by reading more, studying harder, by memorising the Bible, attending more services, listening to more podcasts. We won't get to know him better by getting cleverer. Now, all of that might be great. It might actually be really important. It might be a way of us hearing Jesus, but don't confuse it for the thing itself. Don't confuse the investigation for intimacy. And I think what Luke is trying to show is that maybe the answer to our stuff won't be found from a distance. Maybe God doesn't want us to grasp it all. Perhaps he just wants us to be with, to be with us in it, to wrestle with him in it. What if rather than trying to investigate, we try to get close, not grasp him, but enjoy him? Now, I know that some of you are like, what on earth does this mean? Right? I've said that the turning point, the key to our lives being transformed is hearing from Jesus and spending time with him to move from investigation, from looking on to being with him, to coming down the tree and being with him. What does it actually look like to do that? Well, partly it's about this kind of a moment. In a minute, we're going to pray. And it might just be, you feel like I've just been looking on for so long. I've just been looking on from a distance and, and trying to have all the sort of um, T's crossed and the I's dotted. And if I could just understand enough, then I'd be in. And maybe the invitation for you this morning is, you know what, you can be in now. You can be in now. God longs, wants to be with you 
in your questioning, in your doubting, in your wrestling. Be, be with him. The only way we'll be transformed is to be in with Jesus, to eat with Jesus, to sit with him. But it's not just about this, this morning. It's about an ongoing relationship, an ongoing conversation. I love that um, Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' home. He, he invites himself, if you like, to Zacchaeus' normal. You know, he doesn't sort of call Zacchaeus into some particularly extravagant religious experience. He just invites himself into Zacchaeus' normal. Let me just come and eat with you. You do that all the time. I can do that with you. Let me just spend time in your home. And so I think for us, as we go forward, it is about these moments, but it's not just about the extravagant. It's about every day. It's about making a decision. It's about finding time, carving out time in our day, in our week, to hear from him. That's the way that we're transformed. And again, it's not so much about data, about the stuff. The reason, the reason that we find time in our week to spend time with, with Jesus, to sit with him, just to enjoy him, is not so that we can get better at being Christians. Right? It's not to get more stuff. It's just to be with him. You know, if you have a child or a mother or a father, that's not a, that's not a sort of purposeful relationship. It's not like you're using them to get something. You just long to spend time with them, to be with them. What if we could have purposeless time with God? Purposeless time with Jesus like Zacchaeus had. Just sit with him. And what we'll find over time is that we are deeply, deeply changed. The first thing is that Zacchaeus moves from, in, uh, from investigation to intimacy. But there's something else too. He moves from coping to closeness. How is Zacchaeus coping? Let's just talk about that for a bit. If I said to you, um, traffic warden, traffic warden, what's your reaction? Yeah, not, not as strong as I was uh, thinking there, but there's sort of this social thing, isn't there? Have we got any traffic wardens in, by the way? Better be careful what I say. Um, they're all outside, you see, putting tickets on your cars. Um, traffic wardens, uh, tax collectors in this century are far, far worse than their, their traffic warden. Far, far worse. And what we know about uh, Zacchaeus is that he's a chief tax collector, the worst of the worst. Just a bit of background. Israel at this point is occupied by the Romans. They had their own land. They had their own culture, their traditions. And the Romans have come in, taken over. And what the Romans do is charge everybody taxes. You're already a very, very poor society. And then this, these foreigners who have no right to be there come and they take your stuff. They take your money. And what the Romans did was they employed local people to work for them. They employed Jews to tax other Jews. And this is what Zacchaeus has done. He said yes to that. And the reason they do that, you see, is um, because they can be on the ground. They're sort of in the know. And, you know, you go to the tax man and he says, how many donkeys you've got? And you say one. And then Zacchaeus comes around and says, actually, I know he's got three. Right? And the other two are at his sister's house. That's the sort of guy Zacchaeus is. That's how he's making the money. And more than that, he's making a bit more money because he's sort of shaving a bit off. And the Romans are okay with it. Zacchaeus is okay with it. Can you begin to see why the crowd hated him so much you're already poor you're already struggling for food and here is this guy he's worse than them he's worse than those, worse than those foreigners he's put his lot in with them what makes a man do something like that what brings somebody to make a decision like that and I was reflecting on that this week what makes Zacchaeus be a tax collector and I think the answer must be this he's lost hope he at some point lost hope 
See, he read the news, he looked at the papers, he went online, and he saw that the Romans were invading. Now, this is just the latest in a long, long line of invasions. The Babylonians have invaded, the Assyrians, the Greeks, now the Romans. And Zacchaeus has looked at it and said, that's just the way it goes. That's just the way it goes. That's what happens, right? One strong power takes over another strong power. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. That's the way the world is. It's survival of the fittest, folks. And at some point, Zacchaeus has basically said, what do I do with that information? What do I do with the fact that the world is just messed up? I'll just get what I can. I'll get what I can. This is his coping. This is his coping. How does Zacchaeus get through the day? By getting what he can. It's his coping mechanism. All of us have ways that we cope with the hopelessness that we sometimes experience in our own lives, that we sometimes see in the world. And it might not be total like Zacchaeus. It might not be this sort of worldview that we've just looked at the world and said everything is a mess, so I'm just going to pack it in. But there might just be an area of our life or a situation in our life that caused us pain at some point. Somewhere down the line, someone hurt us, someone did that thing to us, or we messed up in that way. And we develop strategies for coping. And it's a loss of hope. It's a loss of imagination that things could be different. It's the realisation that nothing is going to be the same again. That nothing could change for me. See, she had a broken relationship with her father. Right? And so now she's distant in relationships. That divorce left him with nothing. And so now he counts every penny and he gives nothing away. He always falls into that temptation, so now he just accepts that that's the norm, that's the way it will be. Somewhere along the line, we lost, lost some hope, and then we developed a way of coping. She drinks, he's distant, he can't look at himself in the mirror, she is angry, he's anxious, she is a monster at work, he takes it out on the kids, she pushes her limits, she sleeps around, he sleeps around, she never ever puts herself forward. She hates being around other people. Or how about this one? Jesus is very aware of this one. He talks about it a lot. We lose hope and so we disguise it with religion. If I do church, if I pray hard enough, if I look like that to the important leaders, then maybe I'll be all right. Maybe things won't be quite as bad. And so like Zacchaeus, we move up the tree. Right? We move up the tree. We cope. We're just up enough to be at a distance. That stuff that's going on down there, it's for them, it's not for me. Or that stuff that's going on there, it's for those areas of my life, but that part of my life, that thing, that hurt, that pain, that's not for me. That's not for me. Zacchaeus is up the tree because he's just coping with life. You know, and we, we go out on the streets, we've been doing this, we go out on the streets and we pray for people. And what we're finding is, the reason we do that again is just because we believe God wants to speak to individuals that he knows their name, he loves them. And what we're finding is all these interesting ways that people are just coping with life. And some of them are dramatic, some of them aren't very dramatic. And as you sort of talk to people, stuff begins to come out. It's amazing what strangers will tell you. Um, and we just see these coping strategies all the time, this area of hurt, this area of pain. And then Jesus looks up the tree, he sees Zacchaeus there, and he calls him by his name. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. Jesus sees everything. He sees the coping mechanism. He sees all the strategies Zacchaeus has come up with. He sees the distance. And he looks at him and he calls him by name. Zacchaeus. Will. Matthew. Amy. Johnny. Duncan. 
whatever it is, he calls you by name. See, Jesus sees him as he truly is. Zacchaeus might have lost hope for himself, but Jesus hasn't. Jesus hasn't settled. Jesus has imagination. Jesus sees everything that's true of Zacchaeus as he made him to be. And then he invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. He wants to be close. So two things. Jesus knows him and he wants to be close to him. We think sometimes that people might love us so long as they don't fully know us. And we think sometimes that people can fully know us, but if they did fully know us, they wouldn't love us. Jesus does two things. He knows Zacchaeus intimately, knows everything, and he loves him. Both things. It's amazing, you know, we spend our whole lives looking for somebody like that, somebody who knows us fully and will love us fully. And what in that moment, Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house. And Zacchaeus overcomes his coping. He overcomes that thing in him that wants to say, I want to stay up the tree, it's safe up here. I'm coping okay. He wants, to, he wants to stay there because everything in him is like, if you go down the tree, you've got to be vulnerable, you've got to be honest. You've got to risk that pain again. You've got to risk opening that thing, that area of hopelessness. He could have stayed up the tree, but he shows incredible faith, incredible courage. And when Jesus offers him that invitation, he comes down from the tree. And what is he doing there? He's simply accepting what Jesus says is true of him. He's simply accepting the reality that Jesus says is a possibility for him. He chooses in that moment to believe Jesus more than he believes himself, to trust Jesus more than he trusts himself. He chooses to accept that Jesus' truth is bigger than the truth he's come to know for himself. And so I don't know where you are on this journey. I don't know uh, where you feel like you're up the tree. I don't know, um, you know what coping mechanisms you've developed. I don't know... You know, whether you feel like you're just looking on and studying, and it's for them, but it's not for me. And the invitation of Jesus is exactly the same as the invitation to Zacchaeus. He speaks to you, he knows your name, he knows your stuff, and he wants to sit with you and spend time with you. And as we do that, as you spend time in his presence, the invitation is there to be changed, to be transformed. You can come down from the tree. You can come down from the tree. And it's a lifelong journey, but maybe it starts this morning. Maybe it starts this morning. You can come down from the tree. Should we stand together?